Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this day. And we pray now, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open to your word. That your word would come, Lord, and fill us, full to overflowing. Holy Spirit, take hold of my words and do something wonderful with them. They do nothing without you, Lord. And so I recognize that in humility, and I give this time up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message this morning is, This Gospel is for That Person. And we'll kind of talk about that as we go through this, but I, I think it's a message, I, I know it's a message that's been preached before at Shelburne Street, and I know it'll be preached again, and it's a message that's very important for us to remember. And, and we will never follow it perfectly, but we are to follow it faithfully. And I believe that's what we've been doing for the past 50 years and what we will continue to do as we share the message of God's grace with the world around us. And, and this story in particular is fantastic. In fact, I need the Bible. We all need the Bible. <clears throat> but it's a great story. And like Saul's conversion, it is a message of surprising grace. It is a message of amazing grace. It is a message that has astonishing consequences, and it's a message that should ring out in our ears as strongly as it rung out in the ears of those who originally heard it and of those who originally read it. So thank you, Fred, for your reading this morning. That was a long one, but it's a great story, isn't it? And, and I want to just quickly kind of go through the beginning of the story. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but this story, like so many in the book of Acts, it is filled with these supernatural events. It is filled with God moving and the Holy Spirit moving and, and people having visions and, and, and the Lord speaking to those around him. And it begins with Cornelius, this Roman centurion of all people, a Roman centurion who appears to be devout. But, I mean, many Romans were devout, but they were devout to a, a plethora of gods. But he seems to be devout to one. And he seems to have a semblance of what the Jewish faith is about. We find him praying at a very common time that Jews would be praying. And so he seems to have, you know, some understanding of, of what's going on here. But more so, the Lord hears his prayers. And the Lord honors his prayers and answers him. And an angel of the Lord is sent to him. And what does the angel of the Lord says? say? He says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And immediately Cornelius does so. And suddenly the story shifts. And a day later, the, 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 the people that Cornelius has sent are traveling and, and now we come to Peter. It's the following day, and, and Peter is, is, is tired, and he's hungry. He goes up to the roof, and he falls into a trance, the Bible says. He falls into a trance, and as he is in the midst of this vision, the heavens are opened, and it says that something like a sheet, and I love this because he can't quite explain what he's, what he's seeing. It's something incredible, but something like a sheet is being lowered down. If we go to verse 11, it says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. 
I've never eaten anything impure or, or, clean, or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. I don't know if we get the significance of what Peter saw. This, this sheet-like thing comes down from heaven and there's a mixture of animals in it, both clean and unclean for a Jew to eat. And so to have the Lord say, get up, Peter, kill and eat, it would have been like telling the president of PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals, it would have been like telling the president, I want you to have a steak tonight. I want you to kill the cow and have a steak tonight. I don't think the president of PETA would know what to do with that. Surely not, Lord, right? I think that's what Peter was feeling. And Luke is trying to get our attention with this story. Luke, the writer of Acts, he's getting across something very important. And we know this because the next chapter, Peter tells the entire story all over again. It's like it's repeated. It's repeated twice in a row, and it's the oldest literary device. If you want to get somebody to, to understand something, if you want to get something across, you repeat yourself. And so we know that this story holds great consequences. In the next, or Luke is showing us that this story is hugely important in its telling of what the Spirit is doing. This story is the continuation of what Jesus did in his ministry and what he was showing his disciples. He's showing them that this gospel is for that person. You know, that person. The person that you think would never receive the message of Jesus Christ. The person that we write off saying they're too far gone. There's no way that they could receive God's grace. The gospel is for that person. And for up until now, I don't think Peter or the majority of the church truly grasped the implications of what Jesus said to them. The things that we read about back in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus' ascension. You remember, he says to the disciples, he says to them, wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? In Acts 1 verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what did the disciples hear when Jesus says this? I'm willing to bet what they heard was, yes, go out into the world and go to those synagogues and preach to the Jews and tell them the good news of what Jesus has done. But I don't think they would have associated that necessarily with the Gentiles, at least not right away. I mean, certainly there were moments where Jesus reached out to the Gentiles. We saw that, and, and the disciples saw that. But they also knew that the, is, the Israelites were the chosen people, and that Jesus was primarily interested in reaching them first. At the same time, there are several passages in the Bible, including the Bible that the Israelites read, that would have spoken that God's plan was always to encompass everyone. Back in Isaiah chapter 56, if we look at verses 4 through 8, listen to what Isaiah wrote. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. 
and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices, their devout prayers and offerings to the poor, as Cornelius did, will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. We get these rather obvious hints all throughout the Bible that the message was always for everyone. God's plan was always to encompass everyone, to bring them close to him. And I wonder if these things were milling around in the, in the thoughts and, uh, of the disciples. And I think for Peter, they must have been. It's interesting, Peter's already starting to kind of let go of certain things. It says that he is staying with Simon the Tanner. What does a tanner do? Anybody know? Hmm? Tans hides. They treat the skins of dead animals to create leather and rawhide. A very unclean place if you are a Jew to hang out. What is Peter doing there? So, obviously, he's not overly scrupulous in observing Jewish ceremonial traditions. And yet his reaction to the Lord's command, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. It shows that Peter still has some lines. He's not quite ready to cross. This is really stretching him. This is stretching him to a large degree. And so we come back now to the passage that we heard Fred read, and we see Peter's reaction to what the Lord has shown him. As he goes to the house of Cornelius, it's not about simply allowing one to come into the presence of Gentiles and to eat with them, something that a a Jew was not to do, but something greater. Why has Cornelius called on Peter? We get the answer in verse 33 when Cornelius says, Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Can you imagine getting ready to preach and you show up to an audience like that? I wish I got that kind of enthusiasm on a Sunday sometimes when I come. We've all gathered. We're just ready and can't wait to hear what you have to say to us. Think again Peter's reaction when he arrives at Cornelius' house and the true meaning of this vision comes to mind. I now realize, Peter says. I now realize. Now I get it. I see clearly. I fully understand. Knowing what we do of Peter's tendency to be a little bit dramatic, I'll bet you it was a little bit more than that. I'll bet you it was kind of more like, oh, this is what he's talking about. Oh, this is so cool. This message is for the Gentiles. This gospel is for that person. Oh my goodness, this is huge for Peter. It is huge for the church. And guess what? It's huge for you and me today. Peter essentially asks them, do you know the story? Do you know the good news? And he begins to preach it. This good news is peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is what we we talked about a couple weeks ago when we looked at Saul's conversion. This is the same thing that Saul realized. We now know him, of course, as Paul. That we find peace with God through Jesus Christ. We become 
friends with the Lord Most High. And he begins to share this story with Cornelius and his friends and his family. It started in Judea, beginning in Galilee with Christ's baptism, and and we are witnesses to what happened. The Jews rejected him. He was crucified, but guess what? He was resurrected. He is the living Jesus Christ, and he was seen by many people, and he ate and he drank with those around him. That's a very important point. This was a bodily resurrection. He commanded us to preach to the people. He is the judge of the living and the dead. And if you look back in our story, you'll see that all the prophets testify to him. He is the continuation of our story. And and the dawning realization that he is the continuation now of Cornelius' story and his family's story and yours and mine's story. And all who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And it's the promise of forgiveness that grabs Cornelius and his family and his friends. That's when we see the Holy Spirit really begin to work in them. This is where the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and spurs them on to baptism. And what the Holy Spirit does is astonishing. The people with Peter, it says they were astonished when they saw this happen, when they saw the Holy Spirit come upon these Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit does that, doesn't he? He is astonishing. It's astonishing that Saul would come to meet Jesus, and instead of dragging people out of the synagogues, he arrives at them and says, hey, let's, let's talk about Jesus. Let's share about how wonderful he is. Let's proclaim his name. It's astonishing that the Gentiles, considered unclean and always being on the outside spiritually, are now being filled with the Holy Spirit in response to the incredible message of God's unending grace. What's really cool is how the Holy Spirit comes upon them even before they're baptized. And I can't help but think of Jesus' words again in the beginning of Acts. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is their great source of joy. The burden of sin is lifted. We are cut free from the ties that weigh us down. What great joy. What great joy. And all who believe in Christ receive forgiveness of sins through his name. All who believe. And that's where it gets difficult for us sometimes isn't it? All who believe can be a tricky thing for us. The difficulty, I think, is coming to understand, like Peter had to, that this gospel really is for that person. Like Peter, we all have these lines that we find difficult to cross when it comes to God's grace extended to those around us. When we see people that we think there's just no way that they would receive his grace, they receive his grace. Sometimes that actually affects us. We think, what? And like Peter, sometimes we quickly forget how to extend that grace to others. We cross back over the line. In fact, Peter himself did that. If you read Galatians chapter 2, you read about how Paul had to call Peter out on doing just that very thing. Peter, who it was revealed to, go eat with the Gentiles. Go. They are a part of this story too. And Peter... Either he forgets that or he chooses against it. And there's a time where he decides not to eat with the Gentiles anymore. 
Paul calls him out on that. But the thing is, I think we all do that, don't we? I think we all do that from time to time. If you're like me, you look at people sometimes and the obvious sin in their lives and you, and you think, surely not them, Lord. Surely not them. They, they, they can't receive your grace, can they? But the truth is, this gospel is for that person. If you're like me, you tend to develop religious criteria for who can receive the grace of Jesus Christ and who can't based on whatever prejudices you can drum up. I'm guilty of that. But this gospel is for that person. It is available to them. And we forget how simple the gospel is. I mean, don't get me wrong. What what Jesus did is incredibly intricate. There's a mystery to it. And yet, at the same time, it's incredibly simple. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And for 50 years, people have been walking by the doors of Shelburne Street Church of Christ. For 50 years, people have been coming in through the doors of Shelburne Street Church of Christ. Adulterers and fornicators and liars and murderers and thieves and gossipers and slanderers, sinners. You know, people like you and me. This gospel is for that person. And it's hard sometimes. And so when we struggle with this, when we find ourselves thinking, there's no way, what are some things that, that we can do? I want to throw out three ideas. The first one is, when we get up in the morning, let's spend a little bit of time worrying about where we're at with the Lord. Repent of our sins, turn away from them, turn to God. Receive his forgiveness. Remember our baptism and that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We live a life grounded on the foundation of Christ's grace and we choose each morning to be an active agent in that kingdom of God, sharing his grace with others. I think that's one thing. That's one place to start. The second one is always remember that that person that comes to mind, they may be way closer to God than you think. I mean, who ever heard of a devout Roman centurion? I love that Luke throws that in there. This Roman centurion. Do you know what Roman centurions do? Do you know what legions of Romans did when they went from town to town? It was not a good thing, often. Here's a devout Roman centurion and his family, and he prays, and more so, his prayers are accepted as a memorial offering. Never underestimate what God is doing in other people. Never underestimate how he is working in their lives. We simply have to be ready to respond for when the Holy Spirit moves them. Because guess what? You might be the first person he puts in their path. All right? You might be the first person that they encounter. And when someone does appear to be too far gone, when we look at somebody, we think there's, there, there just really isn't no way. How could they ever possibly receive the grace of Jesus Christ? How could they ever really be moved by his Holy Spirit? 
ask the Lord to show you how he sees them and pray for them and ask the Lord to teach you to love them the way that he loves them. It may not be something that can happen in close quarters. You understand there are times where we kind of have to maybe place a bit of distance, but, but we can still pray. We can still love them and we can still wait for the Holy Spirit to prompt us for how to reach out or again to be ready for when they reach out. And remember that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you as he did for them. What happened that day for Peter and Cornelius was a monumental shift for the entire church. And as we read further in Acts, we begin to see the difficulties that came with this. There was tension that came with this. This wasn't something that was all sorted out in one day. Hooray, the Gentiles are are available for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're receiving it in their lives. Awesome. There was hardship there. There was mistakes made. There There were things to figure out. It wasn't easy. And I love that. I love that because when there's tensions here, when there's things that are hard here, it makes me realize this has always been the way it is. It'll always be that way in the future because guess what? Church is made up of people and we struggle. But the glory of God's plan would become evident through the scores of people that would come to know Christ. And hallelujah, scores of people are still coming to know Christ today. Look what's happening in Asia Look what's happening in Africa. These places are exploding with the gospel message. But may that gospel message explode in our hearts here. It may, it, may it be poured out through our words and our actions as we live a life for Jesus Christ. May we always have these I now realize moments. May those moments never dry up, but may we understand when God shows us something incredible and we say, I now realize I now get it. Thank you, Lord. You are awesome, Jesus. We have received his grace. We have made known and continue to know his forgiveness. May we always share that with others because this gospel really is for that person. Amen? Worship team, you want to come up and let's pray together. Lord, you are incredible. You defy, Lord God, our ideas of right and wrong. You are so good with your grace. And Lord, we've experienced that, and we want to continue to experience that. And Thank you, Lord, that you always show that, Lord. Help us to always show that to others, Lord, as we look in the world around us and we see so many things that perhaps we disagree with or that just screams to us that it is so wrong. And let, yet, Lord God, you are powerful, And you are able, Lord God, to touch people with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be a people, Lord God, that can share that. That can share that encouragement and that hope. And that can be used by you daily to do so, Lord. We love you. Lord, help us to show this love always. We ask in your most holy name, Jesus. Amen.